Welcome to the Hidden Money Podcast, where we are kicking off season two today, Kevin. Season two. Season two, we made it. At least through one season. Yes. So (laughs) far. Maybe there'll be a season three. But we're going to do it a little differently. What What are we thinking, Kevin? We had such a good time with season one. Season one was a lot of guest interviews. We're trying to get a high level idea of some unique tax strategies out there in the marketplace. And then try to connect people who found those strategies interesting. Who do you go to to implement it? So we're Mm. trying to build that network here to where we can have the best experts in these particular fields and bring them all together on one podcast. So season one was really fun having those interviews. In season two, what we're looking at is getting a little bit more practical, a little bit more in the mud with things. So giving some more boots on the ground advice instead of just these theological discussions of tax code, which are great because I think you need that good foundation, but everyone's probably listening go, how does this help me? How does it practically help me? So we want to be able to get some uh, listener feedback, listener questions. We can even field those on air and we can go through your questions here, but also we'll go through some client testimonials. We're going to go through some real world client examples of these strategies, how they've impacted people's lives. And so season two is going to be really fun, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Mike, to kick off season two, I always love that you have a story to tell about our corrupt government. Now, not everything's corrupt, but from our vantage point, when you're looking at money, when you're dealing with money in the government, not a lot of people have a lot of butterflies in their stomach of good, warm fuzzies. So the government in the IRS, Treasury Department, all came from something. All all these decisions being in 2023, this didn't just come up overnight. This was a long process throughout our country's history. So can you walk us through a little bit of what you see? Because understanding the history can understand a lot of why the tax code is what it is today. Do you got any insights on that for us? Yeah, that's a good point. I think it was General Santiana said... Uh, Those who refuse to learn history are condemned to repeat it. So I love history. (laughs) I can't say I actually love the history of tax in in our country, but I like where it's going. I like where we're helping people go with it. Income tax in our country, the whole reason we have it is because we were deceived by our government. We were deceived by Congress. Originally, in our Constitution that was ratified in 1789, it explicitly stated that Congress, the government, had no right to levy taxes on anyone's income. It was unconstitutional. Our founding forefathers thought that was a bad idea, so they wrote it in the Constitution. It is not legal. You can't do it. Well, that didn't stop the government. I mean, when does the government actually follow the laws that we have to follow? So, actually, during the Civil War, before there was a constitutional amendment, um, the government assessed an income tax. I think it was 3% on anything over 800 bucks, which... 800 bucks back in those days was serious money, so it was only the richest people. And they assessed it, got through the Civil War with it, and eventually they tried to change some things, tried to increase it, and the Supreme Court said, hey, you guys are forgetting the Constitution. Occasionally our Supreme Court does that. And they said, the Constitution doesn't allow you to levy income tax. You can't do it. Even if you're calling it an excise tax, if it's based on income, you can't do it. So around 1909... Congress came together and said, we really need more money in the federal government. And don't get me wrong, I think we should have a well-funded, but efficient and effective federal government. But they said, hey, we need to raise more money. Let's do a constitutional amendment and get it ratified by the states that says we can levy taxes on income. 
but we're only going to levy it on the richest people in the country, on the top 1%, and they're only going to pay 1% in tax, and that's how it was sold to the country. The conservatives in those days said, that's never going to pass. We are not going to allow it to happen, but here's the best way to do it politically. Let's go ahead and push it out to the states for ratification, and it won't pass. You have to get three quarters of the states to ratify it. That's never going to happen. Well, they were wrong. Conservatives are wrong plenty of times, and they were wrong then. And certainly, it passed. I think it was in 1913, the beginning of 1913, it got passed, and suddenly the government was allowed to levy taxes on people's income. But it was only 1%, and it was only for the really uber-wealthy people. That lasted all of about a few years. Then it got up to 4%, up to 5%. 5% of the public was paying tax, 10%. Fast forward to, actually not today yet, go back to the 70s late 70s, we had taxes over 90% of people's income. Over 90%. Granted, it was for the more wealthier people, but 90%. We were asking business owners or entrepreneurs, go start a business, work your tail off, take all the risk. And if you happen to hit it out of the park, we want 90 plus percent of what you're making. And that's going to go to our federal coffers. Thankfully, that's changed some. We had the Reagan 1986 code, which all of current taxes is based on, that came out and was passed in 86 and lowered taxes down to 39%. For the uber wealthy, we had a graduated income tax rate. And then today we have taxes where they are. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. So that's the history. We were truly deceived. And generally that's the case. If you look at how most people pay their taxes, Kevin, most people have a job. They get a W-2. They don't think they're paying taxes because the government forces employers to withhold their federal income tax from their paycheck. So they never see it. And it goes to the IRS. And then I used to watch these man in the street interviews and they went around in big cities like Chicago and New York and interviewed people on tax day. Hey, how much money did you pay in taxes? And almost every single respondent said, I didn't pay anything. I got money back. I got a refund. That's deceit. That is deception in the highest order. They paid a ton in taxes. They got some of it back because they overpaid or got overwithhold, and the government designs it that way. Most people don't think they're paying taxes. Who's going to care if you raise taxes in quote unquote on the rich? So that's where we are today. And yes, I don't like tax. The fact that government has lied to us over and over again or deceived us over and over again to get more and more money. Some of it's used for really good things. So much of it is wasted on pet projects of government politicians. Some of it's wasted by giving kickbacks to other wealthy businesses. And in today's world, the people who pay the least taxes tend to be the really uber wealthy people that can afford tens of millions of dollars a year to pay attorneys, tax attorneys, and design all these incredible processes. And that's what you and I do at our firm, Kevin, is we look at the tax law, the tax court precedents have been created by usually big companies like Google, which we'll talk about later this season, who pay very little taxes because they spent tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, just like Facebook and Meta, hundreds of millions of dollars they've spent to figure out ways out of paying taxes. Well, we figure out how can we take those awesome, highly expensive tax strategies and apply them to the normal person, to you and me and the normal people out there. It's going to be a fun season. Yeah. It's very rare that we get a billionaire client. I don't think I've ever had one, but it's cool to ride on the coattails of those who have paved the way. So the Googles and the metas of the world who pay more in attorney's fees than I'll ever see in my lifetime per year, we know what they're doing. 
we know the tax strategies they're implementing. And now their situation is always unique because they're in tech or they're publicly traded. So there's a little bit more differences in those companies to our individual clients. But the overall tax strategy is pretty much laid out. It could be there. It's all public information, the financials, everything on these publicly traded companies is out there. You can go pull. And we were just doing that before this podcast. What was the net income of Meta? How much tax did they pay on that net income? And it's shocking. It's shocking. Now they're still paying billions of dollars in tax, but you got to also see the billions of dollars that they're receiving in net income well above that. So these strategies they're implementing, we're going to get into that later this season, but yeah, it's our passion. And we really want to take these examples and strategies and share them. It's education. Knowledge is power. That's why Mike's starting off with a little history lesson. I always love it because it gives you a good foundation of what's the purpose? What are we doing? Like you said, I like having a military in my country. Love it. If we didn't have a good military in the United States of America, it would not feel the same like the stuff happening in, in Russia and all this kind of stuff. You would be more edge on your seat. But I have confidence in our military. Mm -hmm. Now, not everyone may agree with that, but I do sleep well at night knowing that our borders are relatively going to be safe. Not a lot of invasions happen here. We got good technology. We got good defense systems. That stuff needs to be paid for. Yeah. And that's a good and right thing to protect your country. And it's a good, right thing for money to go there. Amen. But where you were going is, where's the other money going that's not being used wisely? And I'm not even saying all the military funding is going 100% efficient. There's no way. There's no way. And there's way too much to unpack there. But the money going to that branch is not being utilized to its best. Now, you are in control of your money. You, as a husband, as a father, as a mom, as a wife, as a single adult, whoever you are, you are in control of you. You can't necessarily control what the government does. You can control how much money you pay in tax to them to allow them to steward on your behalf. So the plan is going to be, how do we keep that money in your pocket? Then you invest and do what you are passionate about, what you want to invest in, and you steward your money. You do your part. And that's going to grow the economy. And it is good for the country for you to save on tax and move a small business forward, move the local economy forward that helps the country. So that's what we're passionate about. And being in fall season right now, we're in August, and right now, a lot of CPAs are just in prep mode. The deadline's coming up in uh, September and October. All of our late filers, all of our extended clients, the deadline is coming. But these tend to be your more complex clients, too, because they have to extend. They're in these other investments. They got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts in their tax situation. So these are the taxpayers that typically are a little bit more complex and you get to see some really cool things. I just came across a tax return, I think it was about two weeks ago. The client was making a really good size W-2, 700, 700K W-2, bought a short-term rental for $1.5 million. And you can't make these numbers up, but $1.5 million, she put 10% down on it. She put $150,000 down on her first short-term rental property. On a $700,000 um Income. Know what her refund was? $149,085. Wow. She almost got exactly, almost to the a thousand bucks short of her down payment, the government refunding her withholding on her rental property. 
Now she has 150 in her pocket. The next conversation that I had with her was, now what? You got 150K back from the government. You got a rental property. You got your down payment back. Now, more than likely, that's not going to happen on property two. They're going to require 20, 25% down. But you're well on your way. So now the question is, how do I bridge the gap? She wanted another property that size because she basically eliminated all of her income tax with one property. That's cash flowing, by the way, and going to grow in equity. So now the question is, she had 150 in her pocket, but to get the same property, now she needs 300K. It raised a problem. Yeah. So brought in Stephanie Riley. Stephanie Riley, we had in season one. Go check her out. She's smart as a whip. Love working with her because we looked at this client's situation. She had equity in her primary home. She had retirement accounts, brokerage accounts. She had inheritance money. She had so many ways to pull funds from. So what's the best answer? Do you take money out of your retirement account? No, probably not. I have some clients where it could make sense depending on your situation. But more than likely, no. In her situation, it wouldn't work. So we try to look under the hood and say, what's the best way to finance my next deal, given the current market with interest rates, given my current cash situation, given my current balances in my mutual funds and my brokerage account? Do I want to liquidate any of this? So that was a good hour, two hours of hard brainstorming that we had with Stephanie. We came up with the perfect solution. And it was just taken out a HELOC on her primary home. After all is said and done, I think that was the first answer I thought of that was the right one. And running the numbers and working through it with some other people in the industry, that ended up being probably the best way to access money for her next project. And she's going to likely receive 150 k next year, but she's now leveraging more debt. So that's the kind of stuff that we're seeing. And real world, this is happening out there. And it gets me pumped up. That is exciting. How can you not get pumped up? So basically, this person who's going to pay a lot in tax, and again, you should pay every dollar you're legally obligated to pay. Maybe not a penny more. That's between you and and your own conscience. But a person didn't have a rental property, didn't have anything except their normal IRAs and 401ks, a taxpayer. And by working with you, working with someone who understands the law and explains the Internal Revenue Code and the case law and the regulations to the client, This person went and got a really nice cash-flowing business asset that's going to be growing in value and continuing to cash flow in the future, Lord willing. The IRS basically paid for it, all but a hundred bucks in this case, right? Thousand bucks, yeah. A thousand forty-nine k refund, and she put one hundred fifty down. I was like, I almost got you there. I was so close. That's amazing. (laughs) Let's talk about this philosophically for a second. If I wanted to argue from the devil's advocacy side. The IRS, our country needs money. They, they got a big debt problem. They need money. If she would have paid that 150000 in taxes and not gotten a refund, where would that money have gone? Table that for a second. But now that she got it and did get the taxes back, where did it go? It went to buy an investment property. That's going to make her more independently wealthy. She's not going to need to be a dole on the government in the future. There's a short-term rentals, paying for maid service, cleaning service, landscaping service that's giving people jobs it's giving people a place to stay where they want to go granted i doubt i can afford to stay in a 1.5 million airbnb but (laughs) a lot of other people are it is growing the economy there are ways that the government can spend money and grow the economy but they don't do it very often occasionally like we saw like or not roosevelt in the 30s he had some great programs that put people back to work and it did stimulate the economy very slowly 
And it ultimately took a world war to get us out of the depression, but it stimulated the economy. With the military, that is stimulating the economy and giving us defense. But where's most of the money go that the government collects? The government collects today twice as much as they collected about 10, 15 years ago. Yet, we're not seeing twice as much benefit from what they're spending, and we're seeing a bigger deficit. They're going greater into debt, even though they're collecting twice as much more than they were 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Yep. So philosophically, again, I love this country. We should be good citizens of this country. God teaches us to be good stewards of anything we've been blessed with. And we've been blessed with citizenship in an amazing nation. We should be good stewards of this country. What is better for the economy? What is better for our nation's security? Give money to government that's going to get spent inefficiently, disappear, most likely, or taking money and using it to grow the economy like your client just did. Yeah. It's a no-brainer to me. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, I'm 39. I've been hearing for 15 years Social Security's going away. I've been paying into that system since I was 15. Now, when I was 15, working at a concession stand at a, at a city park, there weren't big chunks going into Social Security. But still, I've been paying taxes for mm -hmm. way more than even if I'd logged into my social security account, I'd be shock and awed if I can get that money that I've paid in social security tax. If I can get that back today and invest it, I could have so, so much more than just sitting on it, waiting for the government to cut my check when I'm 70 or whenever I decide to pull that social security trigger, if it's even there. That is a perfect example of the deception and the waste. So the whole social security act was supposed to take money and put it in a trust so it would grow. Some of it was to pay current retirees, the new retirees when the new system came out. The rest of it was supposed to be put in the Social Security Trust and grow. Where is it gone? There's nothing in the Security Trust. The Treasury Department owes the Social Security Trust trillions of dollars. It's gone. And we've been told, we're going to pay this so you will never be poor when you retire. You're required to pay the Social Security, but don't worry, we're going to cover you. Does anyone think if you have your own means to retire even reasonably, at least not starve, in 20 years from now, are we going to see a Social Security check? How are they going to do it unless they raise taxes more and hurt the economy more? Just more deception. That's yeah. where we have the awesomest job out there. Maybe not yeah. the awesomest, but it's a pretty darn awesome job. It's pretty awesome for us. Let, we get to level the playing field. Let's follow the law, but utilize the law, the same law that the big corporations are growing their businesses, growing the economy. Let's use those same laws for normal people to take advantage of it and keep some of their money and grow the economy. We're better stewards of our money than the government is of our money. Yeah. Every tax situation you want to look at, because you can save specifically on Social Security, Medicare tax. There's mm. tax planning around that specific bubble, and there's tax planning around income tax. Most everyone just thinks, I'm paying income tax. Everyone knows, everyone's aware of income tax, my ordinary income tax table. They also are taking out of your paychecks, your half of Social Security and Medicare, and your employer's paying half. There's ways to tax plan around that. And there's ways to tax, especially if you're self-employed. If you are self-employed, mm. for every dollar you make, you're paying income tax and self-employment tax, which is your Social Security, FICA, your Medicare. Tax plan around it. Quit paying it. There's no reason to. Unless you want to pay into a system and be disappointed. I, they adjust it for inflation, I'm assuming. Inflation right now is, who knows, probably 15%. They say it's only about 3 or 
Yeah. The government would never deceive us, would they? Ever. <laughs> yeah. Never. If I go buy a loaf of bread, yeah, I'm sure it's 3% compared oh, yeah. to prior year. Sure. Oh, yeah. So just saving on those things, it can make such a big difference in your life. It can make such a huge difference. And that's why as we go forward in season two, we're going to be looking at the strategy I laid out with my client there. We're going to lay that out before you. We already have set the framework in prior podcasts, but we can go through the practicalities of the steps of doing it and put the whole picture together. And just because you may not make $700,000 as a W-2 and can afford a $1.5 million rental property, that doesn't matter. Just shave the numbers down. The tax savings will get less because your tax bracket inherently is going to get less. Someone in the highest tax bracket is going to save more tax because they're paying more tax. So they're going to save more for every dollar they spend or every dollar tax break we create. They're going to save more in tax. Whereas if you're in the first two, three, four brackets, you can implement these strategies. We just got to look at the ROI on it. Yeah. Because like Mike said earlier, Google's dishing out millions in tax planning fees, tax attorneys, CPAs, because they know if they invest in that, they're going to save a multiple of what they would pay in tax. And so that's always the analysis you want to also look at is when you go to a CPA and you're making $100,000, $200,000 a year on a W-2, that's a strong wage. You are killing it compared to the national average, the world average. You're way above. But then if you want to go buy a rental property and you're going to need an engineer, you might need an attorney, you might need a CPA. There's going to be those costs that you need to put down in order to save the tax. And so that's why if you're in those first few brackets, you want to manage the cost benefit. Mm. But at the end of the day, if you break even with the IRS and you got into a rental property, I think you're still better off. Even right. if you break even with your tax savings and your CPA and your engineer, let's say it costs 10K to implement a tax strategy and it saves you $10,000 in tax. On the surface, is it worth the headache? Is it worth all the education? Is it worth all of the documentation? Is it worth the risks taking aggressive tax positions on your tax return? Well, if you're getting into a rental property and you're saving just as much tax as you were going to pay in attorney CPA fees, I would say it is worth it. You're coming out ahead. You're getting a rental property still saving taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, what I really love is if we charge clients five, seven, 10 grand for a tax plan and a tax um, preparation engagement, if I save them 100K in tax, it's a no brainer. Oh, yeah. Now where you need to consult with is you might save 15K in tax, but it's going to be some work. Now, everyone could have a different opinion on that, but I'm always saying if you can get into an, an investment and grow your wealth, save taxes, the only person that's losing is the IRS. That's the only one. I win as a CPA. We win. You win as a client. And then who loses? The IRS, which makes everyone happy, I would well, think. I would argue the IRS isn't losing over time. Maybe they would argue we're losing out right now, but by helping term, people yeah. build future sustainable wealth, they're going to pay more in taxes. So the IRS could take a person's $50,000 annual tax payment now, and that person never grows more and pays $50,000 a year, or they could refund it, and that person could grow and in five years be paying 150000 a year in tax. Everyone's better off, including the IRS, in my opinion, on that. But I doubt we'd find many IRS agents that would agree with that statement. I pulled up this table when we first started this podcast. It's a, a story on AmericanProgress.org. 
stories that these 19 Fortune 100 companies paid next to nothing or nothing at all in taxes in 2021. I haven't fact-checked this data in detail, but I know it's relatively right, and I suspect it's accurate. One of them, AT&T for 2021, had $29.6 billion dollars in net profit guess how much tax they pay kevin on oh gosh i would assume at least 10 percent would be fair yeah i mean we do have a 21 percent flat rate tax that we would assume people are paying but no at&t they didn't pay anything in tax as a matter of fact they got a refund they got 1.2 billion dollars back so they had a negative four percent tax rate that year that's good tax planning they're doing. If they can do it, why can't we? We're in a country where we're supposed to have equal protection under the law. Let's utilize it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to demonize AT&T or Google or Facebook. They create jobs. They create innovation. I think the world is a much better world today thanks to Google. There's a lot of stuff we can do that we couldn't have done without Google. They're not paying much in tax, but they're growing the economy. And I'm just saying, hey, let's all do the same thing. Let's grow the economy. Let's not leave it up to the government. Let's be good citizens and grow our economy together. That kind of leads into a little sneak peek at what we have coming up in a future episode in season two is we're going to have someone called Gregory Treat. And it will be a treat. He is a tax attorney who has a creative tax plan that got Mike and I excited. And there's... These tax strategies that are being taken from the big corporations that we're trying to implement to our lower client base. And so that is going to be one to be on the lookout for. And you can go even as far, utilizing this tax plan, writing off a hobby, writing off personal expenses through your business legitimately. Well, let me repreface that language. <laughs> You're not riding off a hobby. What you're doing is using the precedents already set to write off ordinary and necessary expenses for your business. They're ordinary right. and necessary. That's why you get to write them off. If it so happens it's something that you love to do and other people might call a hobby, as long as you can truly prove and trace that this activity is ordinary and necessary for my business to grow, for my business to do its thing, then it becomes a deductible expense. And again, that's where this guy, Gregory Treat, is pretty amazing at how he's gone and looked at all these other case law and, and the strategies that these huge corporations are using. And he says, look, they have proven that's an ordinary necessary expense. Regardless what other people think, that's what the IRS agrees to. So how can we utilize that for normal people? Like, how would you like to write off your kid's tuition through your business? That would be cool. Yeah, there's ways to do that. Maybe not for us, unless we, our kids are CPAs. My but... kids are going to be CPAs. Oh, absolutely. Even if they just happen to graduate with an accounting degree, then transition into something else. I don't know. I'm trying to convince my kids to be golf professionals and, and not be that CPAs. That is a good one. That's my retirement plan. Golf is nice. <laughs> I hate golf, but it seems it. like it's safe and people make a lot of money, the good ones. So we'll see. Being in accounting and going through college and everything, you always envision partners always doing deals on golf courses and fancy restaurants and stuff. I never had that experience. I have been so busy. It, it, I have never had the chance to say, I am golfing twice a week and I'm going to write it off because it's a business. I need it. It's business development. You know, that's a whole different deal. But I've just never had the opportunity to, to justify six hours a day a week 
to go golf. And I love it too. It's just being in Texas too. I don't want to die. So. Yeah. Although I've seen plenty of CPAs that are still doing that. I think he kind of got hamstrung by partnering up with a guy who hates golf. Yeah. So. If you loved golf, then you're kind of the thorn in my side. Let's go do You shooting. need to have the same hobbies as me. We can do trap shooting, man. You get to ride in a golf cart, except you're carrying a gun and you're shooting things. That's more okay. fun for me. We should go trap shooting together. I'll try that if you try golf. Again? I've tried it once. I don't want to try it again. <laughs> it's negotiable. All right. Yeah.